writes this, Then he, who is Jesus, ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. Hopefully you remembered that passage. Those of you who were here two weeks ago, uh, we used that passage as our main theme. And then today, we also want to look closely at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Luke says this, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let us pray. God, we gather on this morning just four days shy of Thanksgiving. We come to you as a people, Lord, knowing that we have much to give thanks for. So we pray, Lord, that this morning that you would speak to us about that. We confess the times, Lord, when we are not as grateful as we should be. And yet we, we yearn to be a people, Lord, just like you. A people who know the gifts that you have given to us. And a people who are not afraid to give thanks. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So we've been using this series of being shaped like Jesus over the last couple of months. And the reason why we talked about doing that is because we wanted to uh, make sure uh, that we know why it is that we do what we do. It is easy, as we've said, to be so busy going here and there, hither and thither, or hither and yon. Some of you have wanted to point out that it's hither and yon, but actually both are accepted, hither and thither, or hither and yon, and we are so busy that it is very easy to forget why it is that we are doing what we do. And churches are certainly, pro, pro, uh, have a proclivity towards also forgetting why it is that we do what we do. And so we wanted to take some space to begin to really think about that this year. And one of the main things, or one of the main reasons we do what we do 
is because we want to be shaped like Jesus. And so our theme scripture has been 2 Corinthians 3.18, the message version of this. I hope by now maybe you're, you're kind of getting it uh, into your mind so that you are remembering that, which is that our lives are becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters into them and we become more like him. It begins, of course, with that significant step of being in relationship, of entering into relationship with Jesus. But then, that's not the last step. We continue then to begin to look more and more like Jesus. As we grow in our relationship, remember what we said, we should look more like him. Remember the research that showed positively that people who have been married for 25 years, they really do begin to look like one another. Remember that? Because you guys got so nervous as you looked at your spouse. And so, some of you should be hopeful. I have to say. And so this is the hope as we grow closer to Jesus that we begin to look more and more like him. Now there have been a few themes that have kind of begun to bubble up over these last uh, couple of months it seems to me. One of those is this, that while Jesus was here to do amazing earth shattering things that more often than not that revealed itself in small and intimate ways ways, right? We talked about John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and how this is this massive kind of earth shattering, you know, kind of passage. And yet, remember time and time again, what we see Jesus doing is simply noticing people or, or eating with people. And if we want to be a part of this kind of earth shattering uh, message of Jesus Christ, then we have to realize we can't wait for those big moments. No, but rather, just like Jesus, it is by those small acts that we do, the small acts that make us look more like Jesus, those small loving acts that actually bring this kind of earth-shattering thing. We saw it as well with holiness. Remember, holiness is is how we are. It's this kind of huge word, wow, to be holy. It seems very otherworldly, if you will. But what we talked about is being holy means that you are set apart from the world, but to be for the world. And we do this for God. And we remember that Leviticus talked about things that are holy like plates and pans and forks and spoons. That, that, that it's through those little kind of acts of using these kinds of things that we can actually look more like Jesus and be for the world through these small acts that we do. We can't get so hung up on these massive things that we forget that being shaped like Jesus oftentimes looks like those small things that we do each and every day. We've also begun to see over the past couple of months how one of the themes is if we want to look like Jesus, we cannot put that on our kind of to-do list and force ourselves to do that. Things like gentleness or patience, these things force us to create space for that to happen. It makes sense, of course, because what was Jesus always do? Jesus himself was continually separating himself from the crowds, from all the to-do lists, from everything he was supposed to do that everyone wanted him to do, and he spent time with his Father, right? If we want to create space to be patient, then you need to create space to have time to be patient, right? You can't just say, I'm going to be gentle today. It will not happen happen. We have to create space for that. But there's another theme, though, it seems to me, as we've kind of gone through this that's been pointed out, which is this, that one of the things that Jesus was really remarkable at was seeing things differently, was noticing people. 
Jesus noticed people in ways nobody else seemed to. Remember the story about Matthew and the tax collector? He's the tax collector. He's in his booth. And when other people looked at him, they saw a sinner. They saw somebody that they could just, that they could hate in some way. But yet when Jesus saw Matthew, he saw a future disciple. He saw differently, or the story about Zacchaeus, when we talked about hospitality, how, how Jesus was going, and he saw Zacchaeus there up in the tree. And what we talked about is when it comes to welcoming the stranger, right, the first step, this may seem incredibly obvious to you, but the first step is actually noticing the stranger. It is looking for the stranger. And you can never welcome the stranger if you never see him or her. And Jesus reveals the importance and the powerful difference it makes when you begin to see differently. And in many ways, this is the exact thing that we see going on in this scripture passage. In fact, the difference it makes, I would suggest, between living a life of gratitude and a life that is not one of thankfulness is how we see things. Right? So what's Jesus doing? There's Jesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And on his way, there are ten lepers. And the ten lepers, Luke tells us, they are yelling at him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Right? There's this sense that they're screaming out to him to be noticed. And Luke says, Jesus saw them. Now, that's kind of interesting because the way Luke set it up, it was going to be kind of an audible thing, right? He, he talks about how they were yelling and screaming. You would think if Luke was going to be consistent that he would say, and Jesus heard them. But he doesn't say that. Instead, like Luke will do throughout his Gospels, he is always talking about the significance of sight. What Jesus is doing, or what Luke is doing, is saying that, that Jesus did more than just see them, more than just notice them, right? He understood. Them. He saw them for who they were. He saw them in the plight that they were in. He saw them as children of God. He saw them differently. This isn't just see. He saw them differently than what most others would have seen him. And so Jesus talks to them and he says, go to the priests in order to show them that, that all is well. And so they begin to go and we're told by Luke that as they go, they are healed. Now, now notice this, as they go, one of them realizes that he's been healed. But of course, that's not actually what Luke says, is it? What does Luke say? Luke says that one of them saw that he was healed. Now, that's superfluous in that. They wouldn't have, Luke did not need to write that. And yet what Luke is trying to do, I hope that we have, to, we have to hear this. Luke is trying to say that only one of them not only realized that he had been healed, but he saw the significance of the healing. He saw that he had been healed and that something needed to happen because of that fact. That someone needed to be thanked. That someone needed to be praised. And so that was why then he decided, to run back to Jesus. He perceived the situation differently than what any of the other. All were healed, but only one of them saw what he needed to do because of the fact that he was healed. I think one of the things that this passage does for those who have the, eye, for those who have the eyes to see is that ultimately being thankful 
And being a person of gratitude is not about whether you have good things or not. It's not about whether good things are occurring to you or not. It's not whether or not you're even even in good health. It is whether or not you have the eyes to see the good that is all around you. Gratitude is about simply beginning to pay attention to the good that is around you. Right, what's the, the analogy that I always give? I've given this several times now, but it's the only one I can come up with. I'm a limited guy, quite frankly, is the Jetta, right? Remember, two months before I was going to get the Jetta, right? All of a sudden, during those two months when my father had said, what a great gift this was, I'm going to buy you a Jetta, right? Two, for two months, I waited. And remember, what did I see everywhere I went? I saw Jettas. Were those Jettas there before? Yeah, they were. They didn't just all of a sudden. It wasn't like they, people heard that I was getting a Jetta and they started buying them, right? I don't have that kind of power, right? No, no, no. They were always there. Was I making it up? Did I see a Porsche and think, oh, that looks like a Jetta or, or a Pinto and think, oh, that looks like a Jetta? No, no, they were actually, they were, they were there. They were legitimate Jettas. But you see, because of the fact, and much of this was subconscious, because of the fact that I knew what I was getting, all of the other cars, they began to work into the background. And the Jettas began, they were like vivid, right? They began to come forward and I would see them everywhere. I wasn't making stuff up. No, no, no. It was legitimate. What changed was how I saw things. And because of that, I began to see these things everywhere. And gratitude is about beginning to change your perception, not so that you then begin to make stuff up and act like things that are bad are really good. No, no, no. So that you then begin to see more of the good that is all around you. We tend to focus on the ugly We tend to focus on that which induces anxiety. We tend to focus on that which causes fear. And we tend to not focus on the good and the beautiful that God has provided for us. And when we do so, when we fail to see the good and the beautiful, then we fail more often than not to live lives of thanksgiving. So how then do we begin to shift our eyes? Right? I don't want to just stand up here and just say, look differently. The questions we have to ask is, what is it that blurs our vision? Well, one of the intriguing things about this particular passage, again, is the way that Luke tells us. He's kind of a master storyteller. Maybe you notice this, that, that, that Luke, as he begins to talk about the one person who was healed, he says he saw, right, that he had been healed. He turned around. He, he began to praise God Do you remember the adjective that he uses here? No, because we're Presbyterians. Loudly. In fact, as a quick aside, I was reading something this week that said, if we genuinely were thankful, our worship might be a bit more enthused and enthusiastic and energetic than it otherwise is. Other congregations should probably hear that message, am I right? Now I've completely forgotten what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. So 
So what happens? So he tells about all these things. He sees what happens. He praises God loudly. He runs back, right? He lays down at his feet, right? He, he lays down prostrate before his feet. He begins to thank Jesus. He does all those things, right? Luke is kind of, he has all this dramatic flair. And then do you notice, and only then does he say, and he was a Samaritan. And if you can imagine yourself as a listener in the first century, when you heard that, you would have been like, what? A stinking Samaritan? Of all of the people who came back and gave praise to Jesus, it was a foreigner, it was an outcast, it was a lesser than, why would it be a Samaritan? The truth, though, of course, is that it should be little question at all why it was a Samaritan. It should not surprise us at all that it was the outcast, that it was the foreigner, that it was the lesser than, that it was the one who was always looked down upon, that it was the one who probably had very little, that it was that person who realized that what he had received was a gift. Meanwhile, the others, the chosen people of God, as our scriptures will oftentimes call them, they just said, well... Of course this happened to us. Fred Craddock has this quote when it comes to this passage, and he says this. He says, Israel's special place in God's plan for the world had turned in upon itself. Duty had become privilege, and frequent favors had settled into blinding familiarity. In other words, whenever you just seem to have stuff, whenever it seems that you are special, whenever it seems that everything is, you know, that, that, that you're supposed to almost a sense of entitlement, if you will, then it is hard to begin to believe that what you have is an actual gift and that you should begin to be thankful. And you will never be thankful as long as you believe what you have is not a gift to you. One of the things that I love about this congregation, I said this a couple of weeks ago, is, is how generous this congregation is. And I'm not just saying that to blow smoke. I really think you guys are generous. It is an absolute pleasure. But remember, because I've said this before, this is just kind of my hypothesizing. You can disagree with me. But a part of the reason it seems to me why this is a generous congregation is because it is a congregation that is prosperous. And yet the mass, vast majority of us did not grow up like that. We grew up oftentimes, because I talked to many of you, in rural places or on farms or in other places where, quite frankly, you just didn't have much money coming up. And as you kind of have, been, have, have, have began to kind of get money, what you realize is you're not like, well, of course, this is just the way it is. No, no, no. You realize what a gift it is. And because of that, it helps to form you and shape you differently. Here's the reality. This is not a hypothesis, it seems to me. If you grow up without and then you have, it changes how you understand things than if you grow up always having something. But as you know, what then gives me pause is my concern for our children and our grandchildren, for our covenant children, for my children. Of no fault of their own, let me be clear, many have grown up always having something. And it is hard in that sense to not feel somewhat entitled. It is hard because it's the waters in which you swim and which you just think, well, this is just the way it is. Everybody has this. This is just great. Sure, whatever. Why should I be thankful? Why should I think it's a gift? This is just, it is what it is. And it gives me as a father much pause and concern. 
Right? Meg and I, we have wrestled with how do we make sure, and it will only get harder as they get older, how do we make sure that our children understand that everything they have is a gift so that they will be thankful and not just expectant, so that everything that they have is not just familiar. I have watched some of you. I watch all of you. But I have especially been watching parents and their children, especially children who are college age or older, to be able to see how did they parent. Right? Some of the things I have noticed, look, we, we even see this in this passage, right? One of them, this isn't from the passage, but one of them is, and this is going to knock your socks off, you do not give them everything that they want. But one of the other things that's fascinating, of course, as we look at this passage is this reality of, of making sure that we are engaged with the outcast. Making sure that our children or our grandchildren, our covenant children, that they, are, that they are seeing and meeting those who are immigrants, who are refugees, who have less. Right? We don't just give to those because it's generous and because we need to do it. We give and we expose ourselves and we are in relationship with those who have less than for our own souls. Because we need to see and understand that not everybody has what we have, and that we need to be thankful for that. And so as a church, it is critical that we are always engaged with others, that we don't just say, well, just do what you can, that we make sure that as a part of our structure, we are having our young folks and ourselves always engaging with others, oftentimes with those who are outcast, the Samaritan, if you will. Moreover, of course, We have to be, you as parents or grandparents, or you as covenant parents or grandparents, and we as a church, we must continually be intentional about being sacrificially generous. Our children must see that. I said this back in June, that I wanted my nine-year-old in the sanctuary whenever it was that we began to say, here is the money, we have this extra money, and here is where we are putting it. We could have kept it for ourselves, but we're giving it to Syria, we're giving it to the juvenile justice ministry, we're giving it away to straight up. It was important that my daughter sat there and heard those words so that she understood that we have a call, and generosity and gratitude are intricately connected. And when you are grateful, and only when you are grateful, will you then be able to be generous. And I need, for my own children, I need to lead by example, and I need us to lead as a church. Gratefulness will not just happen by our telling our children to say thank you. It will happen within a community where they see a people who are grateful and who are generous. Make no mistake about it. But we also, it seems to me, we shape our own gratefulness by the importance of seeing what worship does for us. Do you notice again that that, that when the Samaritan runs back, what does he say? He runs back and he begins by praising God, right? He begins by praising God. How did he praise him? Loudly, he praises God loudly, and then he begins to give thanks. This intricate connection between worship and gratitude. When we gather together, my hope and my prayer is that you don't do so, and then you check that off. Whoo, I don't have to feel guilty anymore, thankfully. Right? See you guys in three months. 
My hope is that you understand that whenever it is that we come into worship, that we are training our eyes to see differently. Whenever it is that we gather together, every time that we sing to God, every time that we hear the scripture proclaimed, every time that we pray, every time that we love our neighbor, every time, or at least sometimes when we hear a sermon, in every one of those times, what you are doing, either consciously or subconsciously, is you are saying, you are God and we are not. And everything that we have is a gift. Every time that you gather together and we worship God, we are, whether we know it or not, we are shaping our eyes to begin to see that we have been given so much and that our response is one of gratitude. Worship and gratitude are absolutely connected. But finally, what I wanted us to see this morning when it comes to gratitude is something that we see in the gospel of Matthew. Again, I know I preached on this whole passage two weeks ago when we talked about generosity. But I wanted us to see it again. There's Jesus, remember. And he has five loaves and two fish. Remember, the disciples thought, well, this is, this is not good. They didn't even bring it to him at first. But Jesus took those five loaves and those two fish, and he gave praise, and he thanked God for them. That Jesus himself was thankful to his father. But then this week I was reading in a book by Eugene Peterson called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. And if you're ever like, well, I'd love to read a book, I would encourage you. That's a a pretty good book. Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. Eugene Peterson, who actually passed away just about three weeks ago now. And Peterson says this about this passage. He says, what we offer to Jesus, Jesus offers to God with thanksgiving. He doesn't examine it for flaws. He doesn't evaluate and appraise it, criticize or reject our offerings. Two fish, is that all you could come up with? No, we can't imagine Jesus saying anything like that. He praised these offerings and the lives that back them up, offering what we offer to the Father. There's a couple things I want you to see about this. First of all, there's this beautiful line that Jesus, he sees this, right? And he doesn't say, oh, seriously, is this all you got? He he doesn't point out the flaws. I think oftentimes what keeps us from being generous and being thankful is because of the fact that we like to focus on what we don't have, on the gifts that we don't have, on the talents that we don't have, on the fact that maybe we don't think we're the most beautiful or the most capable person, and we end up wasting lots of time focusing on that rather than focusing on the gifts that Jesus has given to us. And I think because of that, it limits our ability to be grateful and to be generous, and that is a crying shame. I want you to know, I want you to think about this reality, that you have been created beautifully by God, and that while you sit there and look at the mirror and think about all the ways that you fall short, I want you to know that Jesus is looking at you and saying, you have been beautifully made. You have been wonderfully made. I want you to know that. And then secondly, it is a shame that far too often we decide to look and to focus again on what we don't have than on what the Lord has already provided to us. Truth be told, we start this at an early age. 
Not long ago, one of my daughters had a birthday. And at the end of uh, my work day, I got home and I, I asked her, I said, tell me, you know, tell me about your birthday. How was your birthday? And she said, no, we didn't get to go to the indoor park like I wanted to. And I said, okay. I said, tell me this, did you, uh, did you get Lucky Charms with unicorn marshmallows this morning? Which, by the way, very tasty, if you're curious. She said, yeah. I said, okay. Did you get to go with your mom and pick out some snow boots and a scarf and a hat today that you really love? Yeah. Okay. Did you get to go and pick out all your party stuff that you were going to have for your birthday party? Did you get to go do that today? Yeah. Did you get to watch a whole movie with your sisters today? Yeah. Do we get to go here in just a few minutes uh, to Olive Garden to get the buttered noodles, the overpriced buttered noodles? I, that part I kept internally. But did we get to, did we, are we going to get to go and do that? Yeah. I said, so maybe, maybe it wasn't so bad. And I don't say that to kind of bring up my child. I say that because here's what I know. As adults, we do the exact same thing. We just cover it up remarkably well. Our eyes are almost always drawn to what we don't have or what is going poorly in our lives than on what the blessings are that are all around us. Gratitude is about paying attention and seeing what is actually there. Maybe it's because it's the end of the year, but I've been doing a lot more reflecting on kind of 2018 over these past couple of weeks. And, you know, I think I've been pretty honest with you all. We've talked about this from time to time. But 2018, in terms of a church, in terms of a pastor, I'll say, there have been, there have been some real struggles this year. I've even asked you guys to pray for us. Uh, I thought about kind of going through and talking about all the different kinds of things that we've kind of gone through. But then um, I got really depressed. So I said, no, we're not going to do that. But it has been a struggle. In fact, I would say it was probably around April or so. That, that, that whenever something would happen, Pastor Scott and I, we would just look at each other and we'd be like, 2018. And sure enough, then something else and something else and much of these things, of course, you guys already know what they are and what they were about. And I have shed as a pastor more tears in this year than I have ever shed before. Sometimes they were for me and sometimes, oftentimes, they were for others. It has been a struggle in many ways. But this week, because I was thinking about this passage, I also looked back and I realized something. I realized that even though there were so many difficulties that we faced as a family, as a ZPC family, that I never felt without hope and I never felt alone. And I want you to know that the reason for that is because of you all. You all have done a remarkable job of asking a simple question of how are you doing? Not just kind of flippantly, but of just genuinely asking. And I have been able to overhear many a time when someone has gone up to Pastor Scott and has asked that question, how are you doing? And this year, unlike any other year, and my guess is that Scott would say the same thing, I have had to reach out to more ZPCers for help. And you guys, I have called you and you have actually picked up the phone. 
And some of you have just listened, and some of you have taken me out to eat, and so that we could talk, and some of you have just simply been there. And one of the most incredible things that you all have done, and I mean this, and I hope that you hear me, is you have simply said from time to time, thank you. And I don't say that as a way for you all then to come up to me after the service and be like, hey, thank you, or something like that. I don't need that. What I want you to know is that I hear you, and here's what I really want you to know. It makes an absolute difference. David Lowe's, I was reading something he wrote this week when he talks about gratitude, and he says gratitude is about perception, much of what we've already talked about. But he also said it is also about articulation. And what he meant by that is gratitude is not just seeing, but it is saying what it is that you are thankful for. And he says there is a second blessing that comes when you say thank you, when you are able to give voice to what you are thankful for. And I know that he's right, because as I sat there and typed that out this week, I got excited. No kidding, I'm weird, but I got excited about being able to tell you all how from the bottom of my heart, And from the bottom of Scott's heart, I asked him if I could say this. We want to say thank you for us, but also for our families. I want you to know there are times when this is my job, but what I am also astounded at is how kind you are to our families. There is power in being able to see the good and the beautiful. And then there is power in being able to articulate, of being able to express that. And because of that, I didn't want to be the only one who did that today. You guys know this is coming. Hopefully you got a little piece of paper. I want you to think, we're going to take just a couple of minutes to do this, but I want you to just think about something in 2018 for which you want to give God thanks. One of the interesting things that a commentator said was that it was only one out of ten lepers who gave thanks. But he said, well, you know what, in reality, if we gave thanks for about 10% of the things that we did, we'd probably be in pretty good shape. And so I want you to think about that now. I'm not asking you to write 10%. I'm probably asking you to write .0001% of something for which you can give God thanks. And I want you to write that, and then here's what I'm going to have us do in just a couple minutes. I'll stand up here beforehand. I want you to bring it down. Why? Because there is something to be said about publicly giving praise to God, about publicly thanking, and there is something about watching And seeing all of these folks and the reality that God is doing something in their lives. And so let's take just a couple of minutes now. And as you reflect on 2018, I want you to write something significant for which you want to give God praise. At least one of those. I also, I I want you to, in this time, as you come forward, I want you to also, if you have brought your pledge card or your commitment card, I want you to bring that down as well. There's a part of me, well, there's not a part of me. What I know is this. There is a direct link, as I've already said, between gratitude 
and generosity. And so as you kind of rejoice and celebrate what the Lord has done, as you thank God for his gifts, and as you think about the ways in which you are called to be generous, the ways in which we as a church are called to be generous, I invite you to come forward now as well and drop those off in these baskets also. I want you to know what I am excited about, and so I want you to know that I'm going to do this, is I'm going to read through these Thanksgiving cards. Okay, so if there's something for which you're thankful that you don't want me to know about, just go in and, and act like you're putting something in the basket and then take it back out again. But I'm doing so because it is a blessing to see the generosity and the, what God has given to us. And it is a blessing to see us stand up and be able to give praise to God. Amen?